0: The Rookie is a free serialized audiobook meant for mature audiences, written and performed by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler. For links to order a young adult version of this book without all the cussing in print, ebook, or audiobook, visit scottsigler.com the rookie one word. This podcast contains mature situations, adult language, and lots and lots of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, junkies. How the hell are you today? Hope you're good. We're already five episodes into The Rookie. Crazy how fast this stuff goes, isn't it? I have started the second draft of Shakedown, book one of The Crypt. Big John Viscara has gone over the continuity of draft one. I'm working his notes in right now. He has a tough job. He has to go through a first draft and really be kind of first on the scene to look for the things I screwed up or things that are are illogical or not consistent. And uh, in this one, he said in one chapter... I named the same character in one chapter, four completely different names. Not sure how I did that. Uh, Who knows what was going through my noggin at the time. But Big John is on the case. I'll hopefully tear through the second draft of Shakedown and then get that off to the publisher. And uh, I'll have more information for you about when it might come out after I get that done. Back to the rookie. Let's get you caught up on the story. And then we're all going to go pound a pan-galactic gargle blaster. Previously on, The Rookie. Quentin's ordeal at the Combine is about to get real, real weird. But if he passes his last test, he's on his way to Ionath. And if he passes, he gets to meet the team owner, notorious gangster Greedock the Splithead. The second day, the computer awoke Quentin and told him to dress. He followed directions and didn't have to wait long before the door opened and something started to come through, to float through. Quentin jumped away from the door, his back hitting the small cell's wall. It floated at chest height, a white, tapered, flattish creature about four feet across and six feet long. At the outer edges of the body, Thick skin moved in undulating waves, like the long wings of a stingray or skate. A row of six deep, black sensory pits lined the creature's curved front. It was a member of the race called the Hurrah.
1: Oh my goodness,
0: the creature said. Are you all right? The creature hadn't said it because Quentin didn't see movement from anything that might be a mouth. He realized that the words came from a small metal machine strapped to the creature's back. He recognized the creature as a resident of one of the five gas giant planets that made up the Hurrah Tribal Accord. He'd never seen one in person, just on holos as GFL refs. He'd also studied them in classes that taught every Purist Nation child how to kill the subraces. The common nursery rhyme jumped unbidden into his head. A punch in the pit, any of them will do. Grab the wings and pull down, so blessed are you. Bring up your knee, oh, so, so, so high. Let this enemy of high one die. He remembered that this kind of move put sudden compression on the hurrah's heart, causing it to rupture. The hurrah sensory pits combined to produce a kind of sonar that let them see everything via sound waves. A curled tentacle sat outside the leftmost and rightmost black pit, the hurrah equivalent of hands. It wore a pack of some kind on its back, an orange and black pack with many compartments and pockets. Quentin stared for a second before he realized his hands were balled up in a tight fist. Who the hell are you?
1: I'm the Kraken's team doctor. You may call me Doc. Please relax, my good man. I'm here for your physical. I don't get a human, doctor. The Ramic Excellent doctors, I assure you. I've been studying multi-species sports medicine for 50 years. I realize that my appearance may be a bit startling to you, Quentin, but I pose no danger. Now sit back and relax.
0: Doc reached a tentacle into his backpack and came out with a bracelet done in a bluish metal. Please disrobe and hold out your wrists. I want a human doctor.
1: Well, that's fine, but I'm the team doctor for the Ironath Krakens, and if you want to play for the Krakens, I have to examine you. If he wants to go back to the PNFL for another year so you can find a team with a human doctor, well, that is your prerogative.
0: Quentin gritted his teeth. He wasn't waiting another year. He stripped out of his bodysuit and held out his hand. Doc's tentacles shot to the long scar on Quentin's right arm. He managed, somehow, not to flinch as the alien examined the old wound. My goodness, how did this happen? Yeah, you know, grinder accident when I was a kid, working in the mines. I almost lost my arm. But that scar, did they use
1: stitches with a needle and, and thread?
0: It's a pretty bad injury. I think they did a great job. They grafted the bone together, repaired the muscle connections, and stitched the whole thing up.
1: Stitches and bone grafts. Sheer barbarism.
0: Doc fastened the bracelet around his wrist.
1: This device will check all of your vital signs. I already have a great deal of physical information on you from yesterday's test, so this is somewhat of a formality. Now I'm going to check your joints. Machines can't always find what can be found by touch.
0: Quinn's lip curled involuntarily at the thought of that thing touching him. But he'd have to get used to aliens, and he might as well start now. Doc's tentacles gripped his arm. They were warm and soft, not cold and clammy as he'd expected. Doc bent his arm at the elbow, then straightened it, pushing against the joint.
1: Does it hurt when I do this?
0: Nothing hurts the kid, baby.
1: The PNFL doesn't give out medical records. What sports-related injuries have you sustained? None. Well, there's no use in lying, my good man. I'm going to find any injuries that you've had.
0: You can search all you want. Doc continued looking. After five minutes of gentle poking, prodding, and bending, he stopped. He pulled the device off Quentin's wrist, looked at it for a moment, then returned it to his backpack.
1: How is it that you played football for four years and yet you have no injuries?
0: Quentin shrugged. Well, let's just say I don't get hit very much.
1: Yes, well, I suppose you don't. Now we have just one more test, Quentin. We must check you for a hernia.
0: Quentin's heart sank. He'd forgotten about that most invasive part of the sports physical. You don't gotta check shit. I don't have one.
1: I do need to check. Now please, stand. Oh, man. Now cough. Fuck you. Cough again. Kiss my ass. And
0: once more. Bullshit. And with tentacles on his testicles, Quentin's career in the GFL began. Chapter 4. The Team Quentin spent two days at the Combine, but experienced nothing as arduous as the initial test, nor as disturbing as his exam with Doc. League officials continued to test his reflexes, his strength, and his endurance. The initial exam created a baseline of his physical capabilities. Subsequent tests further developed that analysis, and were combined with extensive measurements of intelligence, analytical thinking, and mental reaction time. Meal trays slid through a slot in his cell walls, three times a day, the same times every day. The best of that food tasted like a bland nothing, and the worst, like some kind of rancid sawdust. He ate it anyway. Quentin wondered if the food would be like this on the Kraken's team bus. The thought made him shudder. He wanted some good old-fashioned national light cooking. After his last test a holographic video game that had him slapping colored balls and a pre-described pattern as fast as his hands could move, Quentin returned to his cell to find new clothes laid out on his metal bunk. Loose-fitting sweatpants and a sweatshirt, new Nike football shoes and socks, all in the orange and black colors of the Ionath Krakens. An orange and black bag sat next to the clothes, containing a second set of sweats, and the clothes he wore when he arrived at the Combine, The last item, the one that really caught his attention, was an Ionath Kraken's jersey. A jet black jersey. It had an orange number 10 with white trim on the front and the back. He was glad to see he'd kept his old number from the Raiders. The orange, black, and white Kraken's logo sprawled over the left shoulder. The stylized Kraken represented the huge oceanic predator native to Quith, the Concordia's capital planet. As long as 200 feet, with a 20-foot-wide tail and 10 tentacles that ended in sharp, jagged hooks, the Kraken was a vicious hunter. Quentin thought it a fitting nickname for a football team, much better than, we'll say, the scientific base names of the League of Planet teams, like the Wilson Six Physicists or the Baker Six Explorers. This is it. I'm on my way. I'll be on every holotank in the whole damn galaxy. My parents are going to find me for sure. A buzz sounded from the speakers, followed by the computer voice. Attention prospects. Garb yourselves in the clothes provided. And when your door opens, carry your bag and take one step outside. You will be guided to your team representative and taken to training camp. Quentin quickly removed the sweat-stained yellow bodysuit and stepped onto the mesh circle. A nearly invisible cloud of tiny machines flew up from the mesh like a hazy fog. He moved slowly, raising his arms, lifting his feet, adjusting his balls, letting the nanites reach his every nook and cranny. The tiny, tingling machines scoured his skin, gobbling up every piece of dirt and dust, scrubbing away sweat and grime. While effective, the nanites did not offer the pleasure of a steaming water shower. In less than a minute, the cloud disappeared, fading back into the metal mesh. Quentin couldn't contain his excitement as he put on his new team clothes. Tier 2 or not, he felt a surge of pride as he slipped on the orange and black. This was his team now, the team that he would lead to victory. The door to his cell hissed open. Quentin hurriedly pulled the sweatshirt on over his jersey, grabbed the bag, and stepped outside. Up and down the hall stood smiling young men with similar clothes, but all in different colors. Alonzo in the red and blue of the Earthlings. Olaf in the gray-on-black stripes of the cliptic Parasites. A player in the cherry red dots of the Sata Air Warriors. Another in the multi-shaded purple of Orbiting Death, a team in the irradiated Conference along with the Krakens. There were far fewer players than Quentin had seen the first day. By his rough estimate, around 30% of them were gone. He wondered what fate awaited those men. Either an ignoble ride home for a trivial offense, surgery in prison for any removable mods, or possibly they had already been executed. Boss 1 fluttered through the hall. You have all passed the combine. You will now join your team representative. Be aware that other species may be joining you at this point. It is a crime under Kretorakian law to use racial insults against other species. Species Species-based crimes such as assault result in far harsher penalties than the same crime against a member of your own species. Intolerance of other species is not allowed under Kretorakian law. Boss One fluttered to his perch. The voice once again came over the loudspeaker. Texas Earthlings prospects follow the blue line. A blue line glowed on the floor. Alonzo and a lanky black-skinned man, probably a quarterback, walked down the hall. Alonzo waved back. Good luck, Quentin. I hope I see you in the playoffs. Shorah Chieftain's prospects follow the blue line. Three men wearing green dots on black walked to the end of the hall. All three were obviously quarterbacks, and Quentin knew two of them would probably open their lockers in a week to find a ticket home. Only one would make the cut. Ath Krakens, follow the blue line. Quentin stepped out, and for a second, he thought he was the only one in the orange and black, but another man fell in behind him. Quentin hadn't seen him during the combine, nor did he recognize the face. The man wore number 26. Quentin followed the blue line right out the door, his new teammate just behind him. Two hallways later, An airlock hissed open, and he found himself on an empty deck of the landing bay. The deck had four doors, the eight-foot-high one that Quentin had just walked through, and another just like it, a narrower one 12 feet high, and one 10 feet high and 8 feet wide. The viewport showed the deck's sealed airlock connected to a 100-foot-long shuttle, an older model, but neatly trimmed out in orange and black. Five Cretorakian guards waited there flittering about, first in the air, then hopping on the floor, then hanging from the ceiling, never staying still. I am boss seven, said the lead Kretorakian. Line up on the blue line. At his command, a blue line appeared on the deck, perpendicular to the airlock. Quentin did as he was told. He turned to his new teammate, a burly, thick-chested man with legs the size of sauna cannons. He had dark, yellowish skin and a curly beard that hung to his chest. Quentin Barnes, Quentin said, offering his hand. I am Yasud Murphy. The man shook Quentin's hand. Quentin finally recognized the man's face. Yasud had broken the Tier 3 rushing record in the Sklorno League and led his team to the championship of the Tier 3 tournament. Glad to have you aboard. I saw the highlights of your performance in the finals. Yes, yes, thank you, thank you. That was a pretty good game. I'll tell you, I cleaned up on the point spread on that one. Quentin's eyes narrowed in disbelief. You bet on your own game? Sure, sure. Everyone in this colonial league bets. What, you never bet on your own game? Not on your life. Well, you should. There's money to be made if you know the odds. There's bets for everything in the GFL, man. Take me for example. Did you know the odds of me making it through the season without serious injury are three to five? Well, that's not very good. Not very good. Are you crazy? 3 to 5 is great for a rookie. I'm only here because the Kraken's third running back caught Finkel fever from some whore on earth. He's out for the season. That means I'm third string. So I won't see a lot of action playing by Mitchell Fayette and Paul Pearson. But then again, you know how frequently running backs get hurt in this league. Everyone except Fayette anyway. That guy can take more hits than a battlecruiser. They don't call him the machine for nothing, you know. Now that's, that's pretty cool. So, uh, what are my odds to start this year? About even? <laughs> Start? Hardly. Odds are 3 to 1 that you don't even make it through the season before they ship your ass back to the purest Nation. Quentin felt anger instantly overtake him. Oh, come on. That's bullshit. No, no, I saw the odds. He's 3 to 1. Why the hell is that? Well, you're a nationalite. You've probably never even met other species face-to-face, let alone played with them. Did you know that only 20% of purest Nation rookies make it through their first season? Quentin shook his head. He'd had no idea his people held such a dismal success rate. It's true! You backwater jokers usually can't handle the interspecies dynamics. Hell, I've got a thousand on you dropping out before the season is even half over! Quentin paused a moment, trying to control his anger. Then you made a big mistake, pal. Yesud shrugged. Well, we'll see. You know you win some, you lose some. Quentin started to speak when the 12-foot-high airlock hissed open. Two Scalorno stepped onto the deck. Quentin had seen them on the net before, but never in person. They were tall, probably 9 feet apiece, 12 feet long, if you counted the tail that extended past their legs. Translucent chitin covered black skeletons and ghostly images of semi-translucent internal organs. They reminded Quentin of full-body human x-rays he'd seen in his childhood schoolbooks coarse black fur jutted out at every joint. Their legs practically screamed speed and leaping. Translucent two-foot segments, folded back like a grasshopper's legs, ended in a thick pad of a foot with five long, splayed toes. The legs supported a slender body stock that curved backwards like a bow. Two long arms, coils of translucent, boneless muscle three feet long, jutted out from three-quarters of the way up the trunk. In the approximate position where a human female's breasts would be. Each Scalorno wore an orange and black jersey, with the numbers 81 and 82 respectively, on the trunks just below their coiled arms. Even though he'd seen Scalorno heads a few times on the web, they still took some getting used to. Two curled raspers hung at the top of the body stock, just below the head, partially covered by a chitinous chin plate. When unrolled, the raspers reached to the floor. Hundreds of tiny teeth coated each rasper. They could tear through almost anything. Back in the war times, stories abounded that the sklerno ate their enemies, and humans were supposed to be a particular favorite. The head itself was nothing more than a softball-sized block of oily, coarse hairs. The sklerno heads didn't require a lot of volume, as the brain was located in a long column on the back of the trunk. Four boneless eye stalks, each a pebbly, deep magenta, jutted out from the furry black ball. The stocks moved independently, like intelligent snakes on the head of the mythical Medusa. Boss 7 shouted something in the high-pitched click-and-squeal Sklorna language. The Sklorna walked up to the blue line, eyestalks waving as they examined every angle of the flight deck. Quentin fought down a wave of revulsion and felt grateful the two were wearing jerseys. Otherwise, There was no way to tell them apart. Number 81 stood on Quentin's right side. Number 82 stood to the right of number 81. Number 81's raspers rolled out, wet with saliva. A thin strand of drool dangled from the left rasper, wetly swinging down the eight feet to the floor. To Quentin's dismay, the freakish, see-through alien turned and spoke to him. You, you, you are Quentin Barnes? Quentin nodded in acknowledgment. The creature lowered itself, rear legs folding up like a grasshopper's. In that position, it stood just under six feet tall and actually looked up at Quentin. I, I, I am Denver. It used its tentacle arm to point at the other.
1: And this, this,
0: this is Milford. A fresh string of drool dripped down from Denver's left rasper. Quentin fought the urge to turn away. The one called Milford extended its legs so it could look over the top of Denver and down at Quentin. You are a great thrower. I look forward to catching many, many, many passes from you. Denver suddenly turned, momentum throwing a strand of drool to land on the deck.
1: No, I I am looking forward to catching many passes thrown by him. I will catch the majority of the passes.
0: No, I will catch the majority of the passes. Denver's eye stalks waved wildly, and tentacle arms whirled in a threatening pattern. No,
1: no, you will be on the sidelines watching me catch passes!
0: Milford's body suddenly began to shake, sending streamers of drool flying all over the flight deck. The boneless arms stretched back, as if to strike at Denver, and suddenly, five Rockins flew between the two Sklorno. Brandishing entropic rifles. Cease hostilities! Cease or so you will be deported before you can report to your team. As quickly as the flare-up started, it ceased, as Denver and Milford sat down on their tails. They twitched and moved and squeaked just a little, as if neither was capable of sitting perfectly still or remain perfectly quiet. Their ever-moving eye stalks flittered in all directions. You must be one sexy guy. The girls are fighting over you. Girls You mean they're females? Yasud rolled his eyes. Don't they teach you backwater purist fucks anything? You never took a basic multi-species biology class? Another nursery rhyme jumped into Quentin's brain. Forgotten for years. But now that he was standing with Sklorno, it came back to him in full clarity. And he imagined that's what his instructors had intended. The crickets have eyes on the tops of their head. Grab them and pull them, and soon they'll be dead. With Satan's soldiers, don't ever be kind. They can't see to sin if you make them blind. Quentin shrugged. I know how to kill them. That's all the biology the nation's concerned with. <laughs> yes, that is what I have heard. Scolorno females are the athletes, the soldiers. The males are those little two-foot-high things, you know, kind of like a furry black ball. Quentin's face wrinkled in surprise, remembering broadcasts showing the small creatures that seemed to throng around the tall Sklurno he now knew to be females. Those things? There's hordes of those. Those are the males? Man, I thought those were pets. Yasud shook his head. Ah, the wonderful education system of the purest nation. Quentin again felt very stupid and hickish, and the feeling made him want to hit someone. Hey, wait a minute. I've heard the word Denver before. Isn't that a city on Earth? Yes, the skolorno they are football crazy. Once they start playing the game, they assume the name of an earth city or region because earth is the birthplace of football. I didn't know Skolorno could speak English. English is the language of football. You either understand it or you won't get to this level. Skolorno players spend several hours a day working on it, but it's very difficult for them. Quid have no problem, of course, and the key can understand it well enough even though they can't speak it for shit. The 10 foot by 8 foot door hissed open and a nightmare crawled out. Like the Sklorno, Gwen had only seen Key on the net. Key were often cast as bloodthirsty monsters in Purest Nation movies, or tricksters out to collect human souls. With movie-making technology that can make any imagined creature as real as a human, however, everything on the net took on a sense of fantasy. This Key looked like the movie Creatures, but a holocast simply didn't do the species justice. Its 12-foot-long, tube-shaped body bent upwards in the middle, giving it a 6-foot-long horizontal piece and a 6-foot-high vertical piece. Bright orange skin covered with small dots of reddish-brown enamel covered the body. Six legs stuck out from the sides of the horizontal segment, each leg a thick 10-jointed affair just over 4 feet long. Two more limbs protruded up from each side of the vertical body. These were shorter and had only four joints each, but thicker, with muscle rippling under the pebbled skin. Each upper body limb ended in four stubby, two-jointed fingers. Five glossy black eye spots surrounded the vertical body's tapered point. Key were well known for their 360-degree vision. At the very top of the tapered point was the vocal spout, a small cluster of worm-like tubes. Between the top sets of vertical arms was the thing that gave Quentin nightmares as a child. The key mouth. That mouth consisted of six short, thick, sharp black hooks in hexagonal pattern. Inside the hex was a pinkish hole lined with row after row of triangular black teeth. He'd seen many movies where the upper arms would drag human prey to the mouth. The hexagonal hooks dug into the screaming victim, pulling it tight while the triangular teeth ripped out chunk after chunk after chunk. Bite and swallow. Bite and swallow. What do I do if a key should attack? I get behind him with my foot in his back. I bend him hard. His back gives a crack. Cause the high one loves me and I love him back. The key's orange and black 4 sleeve jersey ran from the bottom of the vertical body to just under the horrific mouth. There was just enough room for a small number 93 on the chest. Quentin shuddered as he pictured the creature tearing through an offensive line, multi-jointed arms wrapping him up and taking him down. This key had to weigh at least 580 pounds. The smell of rotting meat filled Quentin's nose. His face wrinkled in disgust, and he waved his hand to clear away the odor. Aw, man, what's that stench? (laughs) You better get used to it. That's how the keys smell. Boss 7 barked out a command. The key language sounded hoarse, gravelly, guttural, and Quentin didn't understand a word of it. The hulking key scuttled towards the blue line, its horizontal legs moving like a cross between an insect's and the oars of an old Greek warship. Yasud nudged Quentin. That's Momokilui. He played in the Skolorno leagues. He had 26 sacks in a 12-game season, another five in the playoffs. You played against him? Yeah. You can't imagine how hard that fucker hits. And he has no concept of the difference between practice and a game, so don't get on his bad side. Momokillowy stopped four feet from the blue line. He pointed his upper right arm straight at Quentin. The tubes of the vocal spout quivered as the nightmarish creature let out a long, barking sound. Then it reared back and started lunging forward. Quentin had already taken two steps back before the Kretorakian guards flew in front of Mumokiloui, their entropic rifles aimed directly at his eye spots. The key stopped, turned his long tractor-like body, and got on the blue line to the right of Milford. Well, that's too bad. It looks like you're already on his bad side. Did you understand what he said? Eh, some of it, you know, your fame precedes you. He said something to the effect that, uh... He saw your championship game. He prayed to the key gods that you were on another Tier 2 team so he could cripple you. Cripple me? Oh, sure, sure. The key considered a high point of honor to knock someone out of the game. Maiming, dismembering, and death are all acceptable methods. Now that you are on the same team and he'll see you every day in practice, he figures he'll cripple you for sure. Oh, man. This is just great. (laughs) You know, if you want to put some money down that you won't make it through training camp, I can put you in touch with my bookie. I'll oh, fuck you! Hey, I'm just trying to say you might as well come out of this with some money, if only to pay your prolonged hospital bills. Quentin turned and raised his fist. But Yasud raised his hands, palms out in a defensive posture. His eyebrows rose high in mock surprise. Hey, now take it easy. I'm just riding you. And if you throw that punch, you're on the next ship back to the purest nation. Quentin lowered his fist and stared straight out from the blue line. You just keep on talking. You'll get yours soon enough. The main airlock door, the one connected to the orange and black shuttle, hissed open. A pair of furry quith leaders scurried out. One with jet black fur that glistened under the landing light decks. The other with unkempt yellow fur modeled with irregular brown stripes. Two dangerous-looking quith warriors followed the leaders. One about 300 pounds, the other a good-sized 375. Their carapaces were both painted in the wild reds and oranges of Quith Commandos, and each carried a five-foot-long stun stick. Quentin had read about Quith warriors in history classes. They were one of the deadliest creatures in the galaxy. Fast, strong, and vicious. Selectively bred for over a thousand years to create the ultimate fighting machine. One-on-one, they were no match for trained Pierce Nation soldiers, of course. Well, at least that's what the history books said. Standing this close to one, Quentin suddenly found himself wondering if his history books were more than a little bit colored by holy man propaganda. It surprised Quentin to see that the big warrior, the 375-pounder, wore a Kraken's jersey with a number 58 on the chest. A Kretorakian dressed in a blue vest inlaid with tiny, tinkling silver bells flew out of the airlock, did a pair of 360-degree circles, then fluttered in front of Momokilowee. The Kretorakian barked something out in the key language, and the key answered. Then the Kretorakian settled down on top of the bigger creature's head. Quentin leaned over to Yasud. What the heck is that all about? Most geek can't speak human orc with. Kretorakians can speak all languages, so they frequently act as interpreters. Why is it dressed like that? Is that, you know, is that some kind of an interpreter's uniform? (laughs) You, You idiot. He's a civilian. A civilian? What do you mean? Like he's not in the military? Let me guess. The holy men taught you that all Kretorakins are mindless soldiers bent on exterminating the other races, yes? Quentin's hickish feeling cranked up another notch. Well, yeah, you know, I guess that's about right. Yasud shook his head. It is amazing to me that such a backwater place can even function. Kretorakins are just like everybody else. They got a mostly civilian population along with the military. I'll be. Just don't trust them. All the Gretorakians that deal with Tier 2 and Tier 3 are conmen, or so I'm told. Quentin started to ask another question, but fell silent when the Blackford Quith leader stepped forward. I am Greedock the Splithead, and you are all my property. You have been listening to The Rookie, Book One of the Galactic Football League series. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on the author and more free stories, go to ScottSigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon. SuperweaponBand.com. The kind of